Howie, howie. Looking around this dark, broken place and waking with you, new breath in my lungs every day, seeing your strength, your promises fulfilled and being with me every day, guiding me, teaching me, thank you, Father. The light shines around, I feel you, I hear you, and you bless me every day for letting me be a conduit to this word. Your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom in this world of lies and deception, Father. Thank you for this opportunity. For those that have an ear to hear what I say, what I'm speaking, the truth, your truth. But that they would listen to what's being said, Father God. Go to your word. Come to the throne of forgiveness. Repent and take Jesus as our Savior, Father God. Have you, have faith in you, and have the Holy Spirit to guide your steps. We need you, Father. Every hour we need you. Thank you, Father God. Abba Yahweh, Aman. Yeshua, Aman. Paraklitos, Aman. So, Yeah, a little disheartening and some things there, but but the truth of the matter is that I'm not going to be a doom and gloomer. I refuse that and I rebuke that because that's exactly how Satan wants us to be. He wants us to be all, oh, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? And if you remember, that happened with the nation of Israel when they left Egypt. What did they do with Moses? Oh, they griped and they whined and complained to him every opportunity they had. And what did he do? He responded in truth and power until the very last. And then, and then he said, God, what I do? God sent him out and he disobeyed. Because God called him to go out and touch a stone and he went out and he struck the stone which was totally opposite to what God told him to do. And in that disobedience, he was not allowed to enter the promised land with the nation of Israel, who he led out of Egypt. But they were whining and crying bitterly, constantly, shaking their fists at heaven, Griping to Moses, look what you've done. Look what you've done. We should go back to Egypt. At least we were in chains and bound and working and dying as toiling. But at least they were feeding us. At least we had water. At least we had food. Really? You were enjoying being chained and bound at the end of your labors every day. And the minuscule feeding that they gave you and you had water. So comparing being able to walk out freely and because you were so worried about not getting fed and not getting water and shaking your fist and blaming God for doing all these things and having Moses to bring you out of there. And you did that. So what kind of an example 
are you showing to those literally thousands of people that walked out of Egypt because they believed in the God that you were praying to and that you were believing in? You were believing it, so they were believing it. And they left Egypt as well. So not only, I believe the number was 600,000 of the nation of Israel, but as the scripture talks about, and strangers, and those not counted as part of the nation, that there were, there were way over 600,000 people that walked out. 600,000, can you imagine a number like that? 600,000. You have city populations that are not even that large. I can remember actually traveling up and down when I was still driving big truck and I was stationed at Camp Pendleton and I would visit my parents. I can remember going up and down the, the highway and seeing the the sign on the side of the freeway talking about um, city limit of Los Angeles and what the number was there. And I can actually remember when the city of Los Angeles was a little over, I think it was 680-something, I can't remember, but it was it was there. But if you could imagine, see if you can do this, that the imagination allows you to visualize the entire population of Los Angeles at that time. It's way over that now. Not to mention all the, yeah, never mind, we're not going to go there. Um... So if you can imagine that population and getting up and just walking down the freeway and just walking and following the freeway and going somewhere. But see, back then they didn't have a freeway. They were just, they just started going and they were following Moses' lead and Moses was being led from God. And they were walking along with all their cattle, whatever animals they, they had, they were tending to, they took them. And you have those individuals that were not in bondage as Israel was, but they were living there, but they, they had witnessed what these people that were maintaining their faith were believing and they left and they walked out with them. Not sure where they're going, but they're believing. But then they get out there and what do they see? They don't see faith. They don't pay attention to any faith. They, instead, they shake their fists at God and, oh, look what you've done now. You brought us out here. At least if we were back there chained up and bound up and doing all that hard labor and, and dying while we're cutting the stones and cutting these things to fit them together and build those pyramids and do all that other building that we're being forced to do for everyone else, but being forced to do it and working us to death because the Egyptians feared the nation of Israel. They were living at peace when Joseph had come in and they were given the land of Goshen within Egypt's boundaries and regency. But the Pharaoh had listened to the 
deceptive, crooked misleadings and misgivings and lying and believed that Israel would rise up and destroy them and there would be no more Egypt. So what did they do? They put them in bondage. They were trying to work them literally to death. As pretty pitiful. So they complained, they griped to God, shook their fists at God, and complained. And then they failed to, to realize that God had been with them all the time and was taking care of them all the time. And this is what, when they were getting ready to cross over, and, and they'd completely forgotten, incidentally, they forgot about the quail. They totally forgot about the pheasants and... Manna. Manna was, angels eat manna. Heavenly bread. But they complained about it. They complained about it because they couldn't store it up and keep it. When they tried to do that, it would spoil. But they didn't listen to what God was telling them. They couldn't keep it. That they had to rely on God taking care of them each and every day. But what did they do? And see, we fall into the same thing here. I, I know that I have fallen a couple times and I immediately get and, and repent about it. And this is part of when we pray to God, we have to open our hands and let go. We can't pray to him about something and hang on to it and still continue trying to figure it out on our own. That's when the Holy Spirit woke me up really early and sat me down and was doing, um, I guess you'd call it heavenly math. But he was showing me the same calculations and figures that I had been going over. I was praying about it. I was praying about it, praying about it. And then sitting there and I'd take it back and I'd still try to figure it out. I mean, it's kind of a hard place to be after having been in the workforce as long as I had been and, and doing what I had been and then realizing that that couldn't be done anymore. I mean, not the way I had been doing it. I mean, I have to rely on certain things and people that rely on me to keep them a certain way. And my job is to make sure that they were safe and sound and God keeping me safe and sound. And I couldn't conceivably do that in a, in a practical manner because of side effects and things that the physicians are taking care of. And there are things that, that we are guided into and certain things that are allowed to happen. So, but my faith in God is paramount. And the Holy Spirit came and we were sitting down and he showed me exactly what I thought that I was doing, but I had made some errors, grievous errors. <laughs> to the point that, well, quite honestly, I was gonna give away way more than was necessary. And it was going to leave me just even, except that God had blessed me and had been taking me along all the time and was leading. But I was so worried about what was coming up because the uh, folks living conditions, they were continually griping and I was listening to that and becoming downtrodden and allowing myself to become dismayed instead of being not afraid, being not dismayed for I am with you always. And I had 
taking a side glance. And that's when the minions pounced. That's when the enemy pounced. Oh, I saw him look away. Let's go. Hit it now. Hit it now. And they did. But then the Holy Spirit reached in, convicted my heart, woke me up. It was still dark outside. Brought me to my desk. I turned on the light and just sat down. I started sort of mechanically... I wasn't even really paying attention. I was going through the motions and then I sat and I set it down and I leaned back and I looked. <laughs> and the Holy, I could almost hear the Holy Spirit saying, I, I can't recall now if he did or not, but it can almost hear his voice saying, do you see me now? Yes, Father, you are always with me. Yes, Father, my eyes may stray, but I do. I see you. You see me always. You hear me. You listen. You bless me. You guide me. You keep me. The point that I'm hopefully that you clar I'm clarifying here with you, brothers and sisters, is that we are We are needing to pay attention. We are needing to hear that. And there is a great, there is something really great and tremendous that's that's happening in the world if you look around. And, and tremendous, I'm not necessarily, that word does not necessarily mean in a good way, okay? The word tremendous. See, people try to, try to uh, use everything as uh, synonymous with something else, okay? So when I say the word tremendous, it just means really big. It doesn't necessarily mean really big in a good way. It's just extraordinarily big or intense. Now, tremendous sometimes if you, you know, depending on what the um, context that it's being used in, it can be used for something really, really good or something that's really dreadful or awful, frightening, terrifying, and it's just happening in a really large way. But here's what's sad about that. What's sad about it is it's a thing called, and I've shared this with you before, and I was just reminded of that by one of my mentors who was talking and sharing another time with him, but he was he was going a different way. But this is something that is talked about in the scriptures is the great, biblically it's called the falling away. The actual word that's used and, and what it what it means is the apostasy. And what that means is the absolute, total, deliberate turning. It's the, I guess you would call, no, you wouldn't call it that. You would call it the opposite of repentance. When you repent, you've come to a turning point. You've come to the point and you turn around and you repent. You ask God to forgive you and he does. Well, in the apostasy, you've come to a point, you say, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. 
I don't believe this Bible. I don't have, my faith is just so, I've, I have, and here's the key to this, and I'll say it again, and if you get your knickers all twisted up and knotted and you sit uncomfortably, that's kind of too bad because it's a fact. If you allow or you give away the faith and you let it go, that's the point. You let it go and you turn. And then you join the herd of those that are walking away. And it's happening. And, and the thing of it is that there are many that have blinders on and they don't pay attention to what's going on out there in the world. But when you have, when you have a leader of a church, and this, this is what he was sharing, and it's, it's heartbreaking. And I've actually seen this take place in a number of places and in the men's group of a church that I belong to. And it breaks my heart. I still pray for them, which is what I'm supposed to do because the word tells us that we need to do that. But it breaks my heart that it's even happening. But what the, what my mentor was sharing was um, the, the gentleman that he had known for many decades and was actually the leader of a local church for 20 plus years and then uh, it was a successful author, and um, he actually not only did he announce it to his church, but the man had the how would I put this gently? Don't want to put it gently. The unmitigated gall to announce on an Instagram that. He didn't have faith anymore and that he was uh, basically decided that he was no longer a Christian. Wow. Wow. That's pretty powerful. And then, and of course, he's not even listening to God talking to him and all the things. Well, see, I had gotten to a point and I, I, kind of given up and I was going to take the 18 wheel that I had and um, I was at a point in a position on a bridge that was 300 feet above the icy cold waters of the Oakland Bay in the state of Californication <laughs> yeah that's about all that anyway pray for them pray for the leadership to guide them correctly. But I was over that area, that body of water, that portion of the body of the water, the San Francisco Bay, it was in the, over that bridge. And I had been, I had traveled that bridge many times. And I was gonna take that 18 wheeler that I was driving in the middle of the night, traffic was low. I was looking at my mirrors and checking everything around me all the time and it got to a point on the bridge where it was a high portion of that rainbow arch of the bridge. And um, I was going to jump the center divide and I was going to go through the railing and just drive into the ocean. I could do it. It could be done easily. If you know what you're doing, you can do certain things with those 18 wheelers, but you have to know what you're doing. I'd been doing it for a really long time. And then that still small voice. I've shared this with you before. Then that still small voice whispered in my ear. 
because she knew where they were coming. And at the point in time that my children, my eldest son, my youngest son, they were not even out of grade school at that point. Um, and my memory fades sometimes when I try to figure this stuff out, but I think my oldest son is four years older. Um, and he wasn't out of grade school yet, so you can kind of figure out where my youngest son was. And then that still small voice of the spirit asked me a very pointed question, which absolutely was just like, um, it was just like a slap across the face with a splintered, with a split bamboo. It stung. It got my attention. And it diverted me away from what I was thinking. And the simple question was, what about your grandchildren? Well, that stabbed me too right there because as I said, my sons were not even out of the grade school yet, which means that my youngest son was probably in about second grade. My oldest son was in getting ready to leave grade school, sixth grade, I guess. I think if, if my estimation is correct, and I'm not sure if it is, four years. But the point being that the Holy Spirit grabbed onto me. I was getting ready to apostatize myself to the point that I was going to take my life, which wasn't mine which is not mine to do so anyway. And I was going to usurp the sovereignty of my Lord, my God, who created me and is with me and guides my steps through the Holy Spirit and teaches me through things that are going on. And he took on a whole of me, but I was, going to, I was going to usurp that. I was going to take that authority and I was going to follow the white noise interference, the lies and the deceit and the treachery of Satan. And I was going to drive off that bridge. I was going to take my life, which isn't mine to take. Of course, not to mention the PTSD issues that many military veterans have, and I pray for them continually. And, and many of us believe that we are alone all the time, and, and it's difficult. And many times there are individuals that will just turn their back on us. And I don't know what the statistics are now, but I know when I first got out of the military, when I first left and was trying to reacclimate, there were 22 a day, 22 veterans a day that were committing suicide and taking their own lives because people had ostracized them, alienated them, and shut them out and made them feel alone. And they listened to that white noise interference the minions of hell, because let me tell you what, brothers and sisters, Satan works on everyone. He does not just work on individuals. And the ones that he is doubtful with, he works hard on, but the ones that he works hardest on are the ones that are trying to take a continuous walk with God and be in a continuous walk with God and are walking close to God. This is why he assaults me really pretty hard and pretty often. And his favorite time to attack is late at night when it's quiet. 
And that's when I need to be focused on God, focus on the word, sharing the word, and need to have that focus. Now, I know that the enemy is very tactical. I know that he's wily. He's like the, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go back. Millennials will not, not even know about this unless they're kind of a, I don't know, a techno geek or something. But anyway, you had this character. When I was a child, I used to watch him. He was the wily coyote. And he was trying something new all the time so that he could get the roadrunner. Oh, there's an analogy I didn't even think about. <laughs> so, you and I, brothers and sisters, are like that roadrunner. We're running the good race. Paul makes that analogy in his letters. Run the good race. Continue to the end. Seek that goal for which we have been established and our feet are moving toward that end. Look not to the left or to the right, but keep your eyes focused on the glory that lies ahead and that hope and glory is Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who died for us, who came here to die for us, to take and pay our debt that we have no inclination, no way that we could pay it back, and he paid it all. He took every sin we had. And this is why when Jesus was being crucified, that when he cried out to God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that very moment was when Jesus had taken all the sins, everyone's sins, to provide them an opportunity to be saved. And God, in his purity and love and his, he couldn't look at his own son, his, the very one that he sent the Holy Spirit descending on when John the baptizer, his earthly cousin, had declared, behold, the Lamb of God, of whom sandals I am not fit to latch. He saw the spirit descending on him as a dove and heard the voice. Many people heard it. The believers heard it clear as a voice. All together, they declared it clear as a voice and they heard it say, behold my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then others heard a rumble of thunder. But those that had spiritual hearing and a desire and were listening to John preparing the way for Jesus, they heard the clarity of the voice. Remember the still small voice. Here's an important passage the Spirit brought me over here. Holy Spirit brought me to this and, and this is important because this is this is important. Uh, Holy Spirit just brought me up to another one because this is what is happening in the world around us today. This is in um, 
the first letter of Timothy and Paul is getting ready to close out his letter to him. And he says, oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and opposition of science, falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee, amen. Paul prays over to him in closing that letter to him because there are those out there that are saying that it's not true and can't be true. And the vain babblings, those individuals out there that practice Phariseeism and want to practice the apostasy and try to convince others that having faith in God that they can't see doesn't follow science, except the only problem with that, let me share this with you. There are geophysicists, there are archaeologists, <laughs> and I'm emphasizing that kind of a, a smart way, but they've gone to school. They have degrees in uh, paleosciences, geosciences, physical sciences, physicists that are finding things that are evident, evidence for them that are saying that the things that are declared in the Bible are being proven so by their analogy, their being able to figure these things and go according to their sciences that they have disciplined themselves to gain that degree in learning. They're finding evidence of these things. They're finding evidence of the word of God is true, but people are trying, I won't call them people, I will call them the minions are trying to shield that so that others are not able to hear that being said or shared. If you look to the right place, you will find these things. Now, all of a sudden, they were talking about finding these bones of giants indicating that what happened when the spies went into Canaan is indeed true. And the reason that they have supposed these things and tried to figure them out scientifically is because when they did analogy and some of the bones that they took that the time frame is correct. The location is also correct. And that they were in a burial way. They weren't just happenstance out there that they were buried ritualistically. You know, I find something quite interesting. Fascinating, actually, is that people... Those other members of the Homo sapiens will work so hard at proving that God doesn't exist, and they're falling into that that uh, frequency of the white noise. They're believing falsehoods. They're trying to spread falsehoods and testify negatively that there are more that will testify and do that than there are that want to hold on and testify to the truth and the reality that God does exist. And they put faith in things that they don't see. I've shared this with you already. Oh, I can't believe in 
in God. How am I supposed to believe in God? I can't even see God. Well, that's because you don't open your eyes and look around. I see God every single day, every day, every day. And yet they put their faith in other things that are not visible and not seen. And I've done this analytical challenge. You say, potatoes, potatoes, what? You go into a garage and you've been doing business with this guy who has through the years and, and taken over the business from his father who was doing it for your father. And I went into this and he's got individuals that are really sloppy and lazy and don't do the work. Are you in their shop? Which incidentally, in case you tried to answer one way, be aware that they are not allowed to let you in their shop because of insurance will give them problems. So you can't go in there. You just take their word for it that they are doing the work that they're claiming they're doing and you will clunk down a healthy chunk of change to pay for the repairs that are done on your car. Why? Because you trust that that man or woman who owns the shop that you don't watch that you don't see, but that you are familiar with, you trust them. You don't see what they do, but you trust them. And you don't see the avionics crew doing all the work on the jet aircraft that they're supposed to be doing. You don't see them do any of that work. And yet you will walk across that tarmac and you will walk across that, or you'll take this sky bridge and you'll walk across there and go into the airplane and take your seat and put your bags in the overhead or depending on what kind of aircraft you, and they have some really wonderful aircraft out there now, let me tell you. Uh, goodness gracious, you have a first class cabin that the seats fold down into an actual bed and you can close yourself off so that you're as if you're in a private little motel room and you have 24-hour room service that will come to you. It's, these things are fantastic. But you'll go and you'll get on those, not seeing that the avionics has done their job. And you didn't even see the pilot come up the gangway and enter the flight cabin. And you didn't notice if he was walking straight or staggering. So you're just kind of, having faith in this person to get in there and is going to fly that jet aircraft and take you 18 and a half, 19 hours across the globe, across the ocean and got a full tank of fuel or decided to only get a half a tank because he thought that he had a half a tank already, whatever. My point being is that you put faith in them and you don't see any of the things that they do, but you will, you have faith in that. But yet you will make an excuse as to not have faith in God. Well, I'm gonna share this with you and I've shared it with you before and I'm gonna share it with you again. I have faith that God is true. I have faith that God is there and I have faith that God is real and is always with me because the empirical evidence tells me so. And what does that mean? I'm going to clarify and share this with you as well as I've done before. Empirical evidence. Evidence that shows without any way that can be 
shown otherwise that God is there and has been there and is real. And if put into a position to do so, of course, I don't want to be confrontational, but I will argue till the cows come home that for me, God is real. God is true. God is faithful. I mean, the things that I have been through, the things that I have, I have seen, and the fact that God has me pulling me closer and his exact plan for me, doesn't matter. I signed a blank contract because that's the God I believe in. I don't need to know what his side of the contract is. When you have people and they're writing contracts and this clause and that clause and such and such and, and F the party, the first part does something to the second part, there's always some kind of a loophole that these attorneys and all these folks are trying to get out of a contract. There was a day and a time when you could shake your hand and it was like me and God. He put that blank piece of paper across there and he goes, you wanna be about my business? Yes, Father, I do. Sign right there and everything is good. Okay, Father. I didn't have to see the party, the first part to the party, the second part and such and such and such and such and by this day. It doesn't matter because my faith in God, my trust in God, my belief in God, that Jesus Christ came and saved my soul. He came to do that, that he is the only begotten son of God. And through that, because the scripture tells us that none come to the Father but through me. Jesus told us that. By accepting him, believing he came for that, it gives us an open door to God and that we can pray to God anytime. And just like Jesus shared with the woman at the well, you will be able to share and worship God in truth and spirit, anywhere. You don't have to go to a special temple, synagogue, cathedral, and that you can come to God. You don't have to have somebody to kneel down and sit in front of and have them uh, throw something over your head or powder you with such and such and, and tell you that, okay, you have, you, you've been and, and do this this many times and you follow this ritual and everything will be okay. That seems like a pretty powerful lot of authority that they're taking on themselves. The point being is that we have a way to God. We don't have to do that. And those on this plane of existence that take that authority upon themselves are teaching falsely, teaching false doctrine, and they're leading folks astray. And there will be ramifications. Brothers and sisters, God is real. God is true and God is there. Listen to his voice. Listen to his guidance. Listen to his teaching. There's too many things, too much that I've gone through and been through, experienced, that can tell me anything other than God is real and his truth. The infallible truths of God in the word of God, because I see that as I read through the word, everything that he says is there and true. And as Paul shared with Timothy, don't listen to these false teachings and they're trying to, they're trying to prove, they're trying to prove and discount 
the word of God and the truth by science and math. Except the only problem with that is that scientists and mathematicians are discounting their own, the lies that they used to believe in. And they're saying that the word of God is true. And, and, and look, look at this. We can prove this. That's pretty powerful when you have mathematicians and scientists that at one time declared that the Bible couldn't be factual, that it was made up, it was a novel, uh, fiction, la da 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 But now they're turning around saying, wait a second, these claims, according to this archaeologist who was over there and did this, they found this, they found these things. They found the very true things that are written of in the Bible. And they're mathematically, scientifically, archaeologically, physical science, they're proving to be true. Geophysicists, cartographers, those are people that build maps, by the way. They, they make maps, they draw maps, and they put them out, and they're finding these places and these things that are real or declared in the Bible. They're proving it. Through their principles and their, <clears throat> through their disciplines. But yet, you still have those that prefer to hear lies, will follow lies, will follow deception, and I mean, everywhere you look, I don't even, I spend, you know, and I cruise this thing because I don't have a TV and I don't have stuff around the house. So I read the Bible, I talk to God, and I use this little device here, but I don't go into a lot of the social media stuff because quite honestly, that's a contradiction in terms. It's what's called an oxymoron. Exactly the opposite of what it declares to be because there are trollers, scammers, fishers, and that's spelled with a P-H-I-S. They're looking to steal whatever information they can get from you so they can rob your accounts, they can steal from you, or they can sell your personal private information on a place called the dark web. And it does exist. That's not some conspiracy theory thing. There are individuals, what they do is they trade, they buy, they sell personal information, anywhere that they can get money. And the scammers, you know, they'll send out this stuff that's literally thousands and thousands of these junk emails. And if they get 100 people to respond positively and return the amount of money that they're asking for, they're, they just made a bundle of money. And I get that stuff all the time. One of the most prominent most prominent is a scam called, an outfit called the Geek Squad because people seem to forget these things and they, they like to go to these. But what I'm saying is that individuals are putting their faith on those folks that they can't see that think that, oh, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that because they can't go on the internet and be able to do that. Well, yeah, they can and these supposed social media platforms are anything but that.
belittle, degrade, troll individuals, put things that to draw people into arguments, and dissension, derisiveness, separation, pushing apart. And in that, I'm gonna share this with you. I've shared this term with you all before, Prince of the Air. Who's that? What are they talking about? That's the individual Satan, the dragon, Lucifer, the morning star, the, the morning star of light or the light, the light star. That, those are all terms and, and pseudonyms of the devil. And that term because he is something that he's not. Prince of the air, that's because Satan could bend air and make music with no instruments. I call him to the prince of the air and I've shared with you before, this little gizmo, this is a tool that God is allowing for me to use to be about his business. But I see so many people when they're driving down the road, when they have Bluetooth technology, but they are driving down the road and they are holding this stupid device in their hand and I've actually seen this young girl almost ran into the center median of the highway. Four times, I'm driving along, I'm doing my job. And then when I get by and, and go to pass by, cause she has slowed down so much, I knew what she was already doing, but I didn't realize that it was such a horrendous. She had a laptop or a, uh, yeah, she had a laptop that she was trying to get up, I guess had a, uh, capability or she was trying to do some kind of a FaceTime with some, or whatever and she was trying to get it set and put it up on the dashboard of the car behind the steering wheel and she was having a problem because it kept falling down and she got mad and then she threw it up on the dashboard and it slid over and fell down on the floor. Well, she's on the freeway. What does she do? She doesn't leave it there and get exit and pull off to a safe place. She's now scrambling on the floor of the car trying to get this thing and not realizing that she's pulling her car into weaving all over the place. And then I see her sit up and she's got this thing and she's paying more attention to that than where she's going. She's almost driving into the center wall of cement with her car and then realizes that and pulls herself back over and then takes the thing and throws it up on the dashboard and she's all waving around and doing this. My goodness gracious. The point being there is that the devil is doing this stuff. The Prince of the Airwaves, really? These airwaves are so important to people that they get caught up in all that. And I'll use the term. I haven't heard it used in the, in the devilry. That was an, that's an old term a long time ago. You millennials will uh, probably never heard that term. But people my age and older have maybe heard that term. Devilry, up to no good, shenanigans. They're, they're just doing everything they can. Brothers and sisters, the devil loves to get us to do that. And in my walk, that my desire to be closer with God, he's really not wanting me to do that. So he's working everything against me that he possibly can. But here's the thing. Listen to this in the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. For and this is in Second uh, Timothy chapter one, starting at verse seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a good mind, of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, 
nor are of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. What is Paul saying there? That we should not be ashamed to go out and testify to the truth and share the truth. And remember too that at least, I think the percentage I might have right, it might not, but at least 80% of what Paul wrote about and the letters that he sent to the churches and to his young protégés was while he was imprisoned. He was either under house arrest, he was chained, and there were a couple times where they had him bound and chained in between guards that were attached to the chains, and he couldn't, and that was within a cell in a prison. Most all the letters, and then of course his last letters was right before he was put to death. Further, verse nine, who has saved us and called us within holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That means that God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son who was with him from the beginning and testified in John, according to John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. This is speaking relative truth to mammon, man, that we don't get it. Why don't we get it? Because we live in darkness. And when you get a bright light, it confounds and confuses. Just like the cockroaches when you go into a darkened room and they're allowed to have willy-nilly. And, and I've done this in some uh, houses that were having to be cleaned out and, and emptied and refurnished and refilled and all this. And they were dark, but you go in and you shine a flashlight because you got to go in and do some things in there, some work. And... Um, as soon as the light comes on, they go scattering and they try to get into their little dark nooks and crannies. Light confuses them. Brothers and sisters, the light of the world, Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. When you accept Jesus as being that thing, the saving grace that God gives us, it's not by our works. God seeks through his only begotten son to have us be holy so that we can come and we can spend eternity with him and be in heaven with him. He created us, he loves us. And that truth brothers and sisters God tells us that it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be a rose garden and things are not going to be here. Jesus himself tells us that there will be trials and tribulation and that because of him, we will be hated. It's already true and it's very apparent. Look around. 
Um, you remember the soccer team, the women's soccer team and Rapinoe and all of her minions and her ilk. And there were, I believe, if I got the, if I get this correctly, there were four young women that would not go along with everything that they said or how they said to do it. And they, they performed as soccer players, not as the puppets that this young woman had. And she just misguided. She didn't know she was believing the white noise, but they verbally, publicly, verbally, and assaulted these four young women because of their faith in God. And they would not renounce their faith in God and go along with what the other team members had done and acquiesced to, and they agreed to do it. But these four young women of faith, they stood on their faith in God and their belief that Jesus Christ came and died for everyone. Now, hopefully they were praying for the rest of the ladies. I mean, I, it was a terrible thing to see done. And it was a very public display. All the young women of faith, they didn't make a public display, but there were some that tried to get them to interview and all that. They, they were gracious and they didn't want to do all that. But then you had those who were in opposition and they were... Plenty willing to make it a public display. But see, we are told not to do that. The word tells us not to do that. That we are not to get up. We can be angry and it allows that. The Bible tells us that we can be angry, but don't sin in our anger. And we're not to be confrontational. Stand up, be bold, be courageous, but don't be confrontational and don't sin in your anger. Anger can be righteous. We're given that, but don't sin in that. But yet opposition to anything, they want to get louder. And, and I've shared this with you before, I'll share it with you again. And even those that stand behind a podium and they're thumbing their, slamming their hand down. And if you pay attention, you observe what's going on. They don't even have the Bible open. They might walk out on stage with it in their hand, but they don't have it open. They have either rehearsed what they're going to say, or they have their paper notes that I've seen them pull out of the Bible and lay up there on the podium and watch them. And they don't open the Bible not one time. And most all of what they deliver is anecdotal. They have no scriptures, references. They don't share any scriptures and they don't follow scripture. Liars, deceivers, false testimonies, false doctrines. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, it says, be careful because that's gonna happen. Everything I'm telling you right now, everything I'm sharing with you and many theological wizards and otherwise, they call it the Olivet Dysentery because he's on the Mount of Olives and he's doing it, but uh, dissertation, sorry, that dysentery is not a good thing. Dissertation, totally a slip of the tongue. Sorry about that. And as I remind you is that a dissertation is, um, it's a, when a candidate for their degree, their doctorate degree has to stand before a committee and gives a dissertation and then answer questions, um, that's in order to get their doctorate certification. Well, I have this to say that.
ought against that. What credential did Jesus require that man had to sign any kind of certificate and give to him and say it's okay? So when they they call it the the Olivet Dissertation, that's um, some of the individuals I'm going to share with you. Um, those are the theological wizards when they decide that they want to call it something because that's what they've decided to call it. And you have those that are not theological wizards. They're they're just theologians. They spend a lot of time in school and they don't make a point to look down their nose at people and treat them lesser because they don't have a degree. The wizards are the ones that do that negative thing. So they they talk about it and they converse about it, but I just have this... I don't know, it, it just kind of, a dissertation. Why has God got to get a degree? He doesn't. He's just speaking the truth. He's telling it. And he's giving us a warning, telling us all these things that are going to take place. Jesus is telling us these things. Jesus is telling us that these things are going to happen. In the book of Revelation, these are visions that are given to John on the island of Patmos by Jesus. And many, I've shared this with you before too, is that that book, the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, Many translations put that underneath when you see the book of Revelation and then right underneath that, in a little bit smaller print, the book, the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, you have those doom and gloomers and all those naysayers that talk about it being doom and gloom and all that. Oh, it's so apocalyptic. Well, yeah, but the word apocalyptos comes from the Greek. It's a combination form, and it simply means the unveiling or the revealing. Wow, how coincidental is that? The book of Revelation revealing the pulling back of the curtain, so to speak. And remember when Jesus was crucified? What happened? That the tapestry or curtains that were hung to separate the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could go into and come back was he... Truthfully communing with God? Or was he just going in there and hanging out and, you know, doing the sacrifice and the things that they were supposed to do that the ricks of the congregation couldn't do? So he'd go in and do it and then come back and tell the congregation whatever he wanted to tell them, basically. And there were those who did that sort of thing. But the apocalypto, the revealing, was that that was torn asunder when Jesus was crucified and Jesus told us that we are able to go to the Father. We don't have to have a high priest. We don't have to have somebody sitting in an intercessory interpretation or interception that individuals can pray to God themselves and talk to God themselves. It's a conversation. God loves it when we talk to him. He is our heavenly Father, our good, good Father. Brothers and sisters, the opportunity is real and you can just, all you have to do is just say, I do. I believe that Jesus is your only begotten son. I will have faith in you, Father. And I want the Holy Spirit to guide my steps. Very simple process. Be blessed. You are in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in daily? Have a good, blessed day.